The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the show Socially Distanced. I'm one of your two hosts, Paxton Wright. With me is my co-host, Justin Kiever. How you doing, Justin? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. It's been a, you know, a long break, but we're back. We are back. We said we'd be back last week, and then our schedules did not line up. Uh, so we are here now. Um, and, uh, you know, last two weeks been really quiet. Nothing's really happened in the world and everyone seems pretty chill. So, you know, not a lot to report on. Um, I'm joking. Ha 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 ha. Everything's been chaos as was to be expected. Um, we got the more favorable of two outcomes, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but it was also kind of a wash depending on how you look at it. it you know, we can we can sing high praises or we can be pessimistic, but quite frankly, I'm sort of wedged in this weird place in between that I kind of wasn't expecting to feel. Um, so there's that. Yeah. I like regarding the election, I don't really want to go into like my, my feelings on it really because they're, they're complex and that would probably take us the full 30 minutes to unpack because I'm just that complex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like like the sort of the thing that I did want to ask you about Paxton was just like what was how are you feeling on like election night and kind of like through the week because like election night itself like I was feeling a very familiar sense of dread. And I yes, I know it was it was like uh, it was like some nom flashbacks to sixteen, but <laughs> it was so frustrating too, because we kept being prepared by uh, journalists and statisticians and whoever who were gathering the fact that like Democrats were going to vote overwhelmingly by mail and Republicans vice versa, and Florida was going to come in first, and the other states were going to take later. We knew all this going in. And we were told like, yeah, you're going to get really scared on November, the night of November 3rd. So be ready. Um, and I still, and I like knew that going in, but it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't quell the fear whatsoever. It was just an, oh no night when Florida came in, it was like, oh, oh Lord. Oh Lord. This is not, this is not encouraging. Um, and then, you know, things turned around mostly for the better, but terrible losses in the house, though we still maintain a lead, um, you know, didn't gain the Senate though. Who knows what those runoffs will entail. Uh, I'm not gonna speak on that one way or the other, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be a doomsayer, but I also don't want to be overly optimistic and then eat crow in a <laughs> month and a half. So, uh, we, we shall see. Um, yeah, I, I think the whole thing, ultimately ended up being kind of a wash uh Maine I have no idea what you guys saw in Sue Collins but <laughs> six more years I guess uh whatever um 
but but yeah it was you know my feelings are complicated uh we were saying before the show you know like uh trump is being trump he's doing all the stuff we expected all this stupid litigation and all this really dangerous rhetoric and you know uh idiotic moves in terms of uh national security and form uh foreign diplomacy all stuff we knew he was gonna do biden's cabinet pick started off strong and then they started getting you know more and more uh lobbyisty um which is unfortunate but there's still a lot there's still a long ways to go so maybe it was just a bad batch that we got today and you know again not going to be too eager, not going to be too pessimistic, just waiting to see. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I'm in the same boat. Feelings are complicated. Um, I, I guess I'm leaning towards happier, I suppose, but it's a, it's a slim lean. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like that was, like that was sort of the thing, I guess, to dig into my feelings just slightly. Like I always, I try and treat American electoral politics as like, like something that I try not to get too heavily emotionally invested in. And, you know, like I want like, you know, good outcomes. I want progressive candidates to win because that's my politics. But also, um, you know, I try and treat the whole thing like with this understanding that like things have been so thoroughly gerrymandered and, that like there, there's just sort of like a, a slide right in American politics not to expect very much but still on the night of I felt that emotional investment and I was very kind of like put off by my own reaction to that while nonetheless feeling just like this really ir- like irresolvable sense of dread and yeah like you know I know we were kind of like told to not worry throughout you know like throughout the the night itself and kind of like wait through the week but nonetheless there's just this feeling of like yeah like this all feels so familiar you know like the polls saying that this is basically in the bag and then like the numbers on the night of like saying something very different it's just like okay yeah I can totally see this going toward Trump again because the way that we try and calculate the American electorate just doesn't line up with what the American electorate actually is. And I think there, there's a certain, like, none, the, like, I think the fact that, like, even though Biden won, there's a very familiar feeling of the ways that we try and predict what the American people are going to do does not actually line up with the American people, not anymore. And that reality still felt very, you know, there, like that felt like something that we still need to confront, something that we should have confronted more in 2016 and that we didn't really do. But I mean, yeah, otherwise, you know, like Trump's going to Trump, hopefully doesn't, yeah, you know, COVID's still COVID, that hasn't gone away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just like, I, I don't want to get us down too much of a rabbit hole, but you know, things are going to be rough out there. We'll see what, you know, comes next. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do we want to like transition into some other news so we don't get too depressed here? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm down to, you know, keep this, keep this light as much as possible. Um, I I guess, you know, end of the day, my ultimate thoughts are, well, they've been, they've been spoken already. I, I am, I'm grateful that we didn't get full blown doomsday scenario. Um, but you know, it's not... I'm not uh, I'm not dancing in the street nor should I be 
nor should any of us those you know i was i was you know on the on the happier side with the results but those big parties in the streets not responsible folks don't be doing that don't be recreating the end of return of the jedi out in manhattan not appropriate <laughs> um i'll keep my ewoks uh you know back in the storage closet then until uh <laughs> until they're deserved you can drum on stormtrooper helmets in the privacy of your own home uh <laughs> but uh, justin you're editing tonight can you please put uh yub nub in our transition music in the middle of this show that would be 100 that would yes. be much appreciated thank you <laughs> um, let's, let's uh let's move on shall we uh let's get to the you know, we talk a lot about video games on this show. Uh, we are we are folks who enjoy the 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 beep boops and the controllers and the what have you. Um, and there was some uh, big developments in the world of video games this week. Uh, we got two brand new consoles: the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Impossible to Remember name. I think it's um, the Xbox Series X, not to be confused with the Xbox One X. And not to be confused with the Series S and not to be confused with the inevitable Xbox Series X S or whatever the upgraded console is going to be in two years. Um, boy, Sony really just knocked it out of the park on naming, didn't they? nice and straightforward One, you know two, it's three, five. Four, five it comes except the things that's not even true because they had the uh the, the pro so technically this is you know the sixth playstation oh, but really Lord. if we want to get into different kinds there's the ps2 there's the ps2 slim so really the ps2 slim was the ps3 so the ps3 was really the ps4 and then the ps3 <laughs> Has like two different versions. Justin, you're giving me a panic attack. You're, <laughs> you're giving me a panic attack. I can't. I can't handle this. Let me have. Let me have something here. I. This is not stuff that should. That should be alarming. There are so much higher stakes things going on in the world right now. But why? Why? Why is naming so hard for for? Uh, creative developers what it's to go off on just a tiny tangent so scream 5 has been confirmed confirmed scream 5 has been converted confirmed in development for some time i've been very eager neve campbell and david arquette and all the rest are back on the project very very excited about that uh name was revealed yesterday and you'll never guess what it is it's scream just, just scream scream okay. series x <laughs> Sc- scream series x pro slim uh you <laughs> really the King- kingdom hearts naming for scream was not a direction that i anticipated <laughs> uh, but, but um i mean i didn't think they could bosh it harder than they did with scraform back in what right. was it, 2009 2010 but wow they really managed to one-up themselves <laughs> um, if there isn't a snarky meta joke from whatever celebrity cameos in the beginning of the movie about naming conventions they are uh they are uh just dodging some very low-hanging fruit um but i'm sure we'll get it anyhow not the point let's get to those consoles uh justin neither you nor i have bought them because they have no games yet really and they are a lot of money um yeah but one of these days 
yeah like when finally there are more things to play on them i'll probably get one uh, and what one i get will probably be determined by what my friends get because i am the average video game consumer i suppose yeah i don't know there's just not anything to play on them like there's no you know like uh, before the show we talked about our mutual interest in bug snacks and uh i can play bug snacks on pc yeah, but I can play Bug Snacks on PS4. I, I mean, it's yeah. going to be slightly lower res, but it's still going to look gorgeous. I mean, it's it's fine. And it's going to look as gorgeous as a, a goofy, you know, slightly rare inspired colorful platformer is going to look. So, I mean, it's not, you know, you're not missing much with those, you know, the, the that PS5 rendering. Um yeah, I would say as of right now, I, you know, and who's to say what's to come down the pipe? I'm not trying to be overly cynical here. Um, but as of right now, what do we really have? We have Bug Snacks. We have uh, Call of Duty Cold War, um, uh, Reagan U, uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, we got uh, uh, Demon Souls remake, which I know you have some opinions on, and we can we can circle back to that in a second. We got Spider Man Miles Morales, which uh has some of the funniest bugs i think i've ever seen in a game like what i haven't seen anything about this so there's a great video i I don't know who the streamer is but he's he's doing a a sequence wherein you're you're well you're playing a spider-man obviously and you're there you're there's a car that's trying to evade you full of some thugs and he makes a weird swing along the edge of a building and turns into a block of snow his character model just switches into like a, a like a, a model for for snow on the ground, and he's just this this uh, this like circle, this like very flat cylinder of just like sheet ice, uh, web slinging through New York City, and that's funny at first. Then he lands on the car to try and like rip the thugs out of the car, and his model turns into a fence. And then he's and then he's beating up thugs as a fence. Then after he beats up the thugs, he turns into a rack of t-shirts and then starts web slinging around as a rack of t-shirts. And then finally, the the piece de resistance. After like fifty seconds of this, he turns into a house. <laughs> he turns into an entire house, and there is just a house slinging over New York City. I'm sure the game is good. I hear good things. I hated Spider-Man PS4. I didn't have the patience for it. Really? Uh, it, the web slinging felt nice, but I don't know. When you have a beautiful open world the uh, that is like immaculately rendered, uh, after it, rooftops get very boring to look at very quickly. And then when you try to walk on the ground, there's no activity there because the game intends for you to be slinging over rooftops. So the, the ground is dead. And also, uh, such an involved skill tree. I'm I'm trying to play Spider-Man. I'm not trying. Yeah, to, like, yeah, that's true. This is insanity. Um, it, there was too much it, to sell me on. Yeah, like that, this is an aside a little bit, but like I remember people people levied a similar complaint against that Avengers game that extremely didn't take off. But that's something that like I found myself like really resisting. Um, now when i like start a new game is like if it has a really a really really involved skill tree or like some kind of like really uh in just like obtuse sort of like mechanic set or something i bounce off of it really hard or mechanic set is the right word like some kind of upgrade tree or 
larger system that you need to kind of like parse the uh the meaning of or like the workings of it's just like i it's like developing a skill set that has like one very particular use and like the instant the game's over it's just like wow all of this like time and energy going into like you know understanding like the the various routes in which i might develop a character it's just like that that's that evaporates when the story's over and i'm just kind of like i don't want that anymore yeah like, like like i don't mind it if it's like in the service of like a good story or interesting aesthetics or just like a good kind of like kinesthetic experience but just god i i don't want that anymore anyway sorry we're talking about spider-man i just want I, i've been really annoyed by that and like some games i would have otherwise found uh interesting lately no no same and i and i think um like personally it's like i i, I you know we've talked about our uh, you know hesitance to embrace superhero franchises with a warm with warm arms um and that's a whole nother discussion for another day that i i I, we've had on this show already but you know i don't like to be a naysayer and poo poo the things people like you know people like marvel people like marvel what am i to say but i i it it does nothing for me really um and really hasn't since like 2014 mm-hmm. um it, like uh, spider-man's an ip i haven't cared about since i was like 10 um so it, like that was the thing it's like this game is so so ridiculously involved and and uh like represents like such a mountain to climb in terms of of like graspability and um and skill in my personal opinion um and and you know there there isn't a lot to like chew up in this world and so at the end of the day the only thing that's really left to compel me is the the you know misadventures of peter parker in new york which i haven't cared about since sam raimi was was directing that really um so Mm -hmm. like there was it was just it's not even to besmirch the game i understand that it's pretty beloved and pretty uh like uh, highly lauded um by critics i it just it did absolutely nothing for me and so yeah end of the day miles morales while i'm sure it's a you know it's a very serviceable, strong game, especially if it's something that you're into, which most people are. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty there to chew on. But for me, it's like, yeah, the the only thing that's really piqued my interest is Bug Snacks at this point, which is yeah. not something I was really expecting. But here we are. You know, me either. And then it turned out that Bug Snacks was like a really focused, like it almost seems like a kind of like Elder Scrolls RPG, but it's, that's about catching bugs and made of food that turn you into food. Yeah. And just like it seems weird and like a little more like thematically rich than it appeared to be from that trailer, which was basically just like some people singing bug snacks while food walked around. You got you got Kira Kira Bonita doing the soundtrack. I'm I'm fully here for it. It's great. (laughs) I I think the guy that played Ryuji in uh, Persona 5 is one of the not the bug snacks but whatever the whatever the otter looking people are called oh yeah yeah i don't yeah i mean i haven't played but from what i've gathered yeah i did not know that but that's great that's great casting yeah, like that's cool like i've heard that yeah like it seems like the voice acting anyway yes bug snacks the thing that we care about here on socially distance <laughs> 
<laughs> this the title of this show you know while we're on the subject of of uh terrible titles title of our show really bears no um weight on the subject matter anymore <laughs> we're just two white guys talking about bug snacks here um <laughs> which maybe represents like our our state of mind on like month eight of quarantine or whatever it's been <laughs> Um, yes i mean exactly like we're still you know it's still about us you know being socially distanced we've just so thoroughly internalized that that you know everything <laughs> speaks to the condition while not speaking to it at all <laughs> we're just very high concept now that's all it is, <laughs> uh, this is our show's a little heady you might not get it um <laughs> but like we're talking about bug snacks but are we really talking about bug snacks <laughs> We're, we're talking about bug snacks uh <laughs> <laughs> let's not get ourselves uh oh, but yeah. anyway anyway let's um let's move on to because i know you also said uh we talked about the demon souls remake on this show a few weeks ago and your um your optimism for it and it sounds like your your opinions have have uh complicated a bit since then what what's what's the deal there i mean basically like there are a lot a lot of like the aesthetic changes to uh, the world and like the character designs and all of that, like, like it's a lot of little things that really seem to add up in a way. So like this is um the game is uh, the remake is developed by Blue Point, which uh, is most known for the Shadow of the Colossus PS4 remake. Um, and there were people that really didn't like that Shadow of the Colossus remake. I was not one of them. But the reason that people didn't like that Shadow of the Colossus remake was because they perceived it as making a pretty minimalist uh, action game. And uh, Shadow of the Colossus, you know, is a very kind of like moody, arty, slow paced, and then occasionally quite exciting action game, action platformer game, basically. Yeah. Anyway, basically people said that like they took this sort of like minimalist artsy game and like gave it this sort of, like really kind of like overwrought maximalist art style. Um, I didn't see that in the Shadow of the Colossus remake. I see it in the Demon Souls remake. Like they um, like there are just these like really noticeable changes to the environments and to a lot of the enemy designs. That's what I've seen that really just... Um, there's an elegance and a kind of like understatedness to Demon Souls on the PS3 that isn't there in Demon Souls on the PS5. And, you know, I can imagine a listener hearing me say that and go, well, yeah, that's just because, you know, the PS5 is more powerful. So naturally, like it's got more going on. And it's just like, well, yeah, that's true. But also like um, there, there's this, like very kind of like gothic art style to Demon Souls on the PS5 that really just isn't there in uh, Demon Souls on the PS3. Like, the, like the, the designs of like the architecture are a lot more kind of like, you know, noti noticeable brick and mortar, kind of like very understated and dour. Whereas this is just like very like high fantasy castle. And also like all of the enemy designs like are a lot more grotesque. And um, that just, that's not what Demon Souls is about really like the, the thing about like the thing about from software's games only bloodborne is really grotesque like there are a few like moments of grotesquerie in these things and they are all the more powerful because like the rest of the game isn't super grotesque and th they've just gone and made like the the enemies a lot more kind of like you know hunched over and warty and stuff and it's just like that's not it, it, like it's things like that that really undercut the um 
the tone of demon souls and the thing that they've like said uh that blue point has said was like sacred when in this remake was the combat and it seems like the combat's fine you know but like the the thing about the souls games is that a lot of people perceive them to be about kind of like mid-maxing and builds and getting really good at the combat and like that's all there and it's like fun to engage with but like really it's like it's these things are tone pieces you know and when you mess with uh the design so fundamentally you really really do alter the experience and that's just like what i'm really turned off by i also i'll still play it because you know it's still demon souls and like that'll be a thing that i get when i get a ps5 but like i'm not rushing out because i'm not interested in that version of that game yeah it's it's interesting because like you know kind of to your point about like people unfamiliar thinking that this sounds like a slam dunk like we've talked about uh you know a few weeks ago we were talking about how i'm i'm pretty out of the loop when it comes to FromSoft. um i i've yeah i i played a little of dark souls one and um i know a lot about the echo knight franchise for some reason <laughs> like but um yeah i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty out of the loop for the most part on on their on their stuff um and so like on paper what you're describing sounds very cool um like high fantasy um really ostentatious architecture and art design and you know uh, uh as you said like grotesque creature design like it all sounds very cool on paper but it sounds like yeah thematically that that's not what uh, uh demon souls was ever supposed to be so like while it is something that sells and is something that you know maybe piques the interest of someone like myself who isn't really familiar um, it sounds like people who have more of a connection to the franchise might feel a bit more uh, betrayed and a bit more, um, uh, yeah, I guess betrayed is the best word for it, um, by by the direction they've taken. Um, and not to like, you know, betrayed is also a bit of a hyperbolic word because we literally just, our last show was all about like lamenting gamer culture of people who think that they're owed something. So like, I also am aware that's like calling the pot, the kettle, the pot calling the kettle black a little bit, but uh, so I don't know if there's a softer version of betrayed that Uh, I can say. I mean, I think, um, I would just say like, you know, disappointed because I mean like Demon's Souls in the PS3 is still there to a certain extent. Like the, the servers have been taken offline so you can't engage with the online stuff that was kind of key to that game. But like the rest of it's you know, still there. It's still playable. And it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's just a little disappointing, you know? Like I will play it and basically just go like, this is a this is a Western take on like, this is a Western maximalist take on this uh, interesting game yeah. uh, from 10 years ago, and, you know, and, and just like kind of compartmentalize it like that. Yeah. And I think, um, I think uh, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a reasonable hesitance to have, especially when you're someone who does have such a connection to the franchise. Um, yeah. I think end of the day, like it, there's a lot of reasons to be, you know, disappointed by this launch lineup but honestly launch lineups usually blow for the most part um like ps4 and xbox one didn't have a whole lot when they dropped uh you know 360 had an okay launch but a ps3 had nothing like i mean it the wii is like kind of the last launch i can think of that like bombarded you with content and switch too nintendo's great at launching and then uh 
awful when it comes to keeping up momentum. Whereas, whereas Sony and Microsoft kind of have the opposite situation. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean like Nintendo, like their last few console releases have been so reliant on a kind of like really specific hardware gimmick that like they need good launches because they need material that they, that basically has been developed, you know, by a, you know, developer that Nintendo owns uh, who that can like, you know, speak to the necessity or possibility of this hardware Xbox and PS5. Like they've basically made, you know, like the, these con like these particular kinds of consoles are like basically becoming more and more like PCs. And we're seeing a kind of like convergence of like game playing machine that, yeah, you know, it's like, it's cool. They're fine. I'll get one at some point, probably for some exclusive exclusive or because the controller seems cool yeah you know yeah. like there it's it's a consumer electronic um you know yeah it, it is what it is um there's no reason to get um down in the dumps about it there's no reason to get hyped but yeah um all right well we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back shortly after these very important yub nubs <laughs> listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Justin Kiever and with me is my co-host Paxton Wright. Say hi, Paxton. Hi, how are you? I, I know I'm doing good and I hope you're all doing good out there too in your cars and at, by your, you know, fireplaces or what have you. Because apparently you're listening to this show in 1942. I, and also they have a fireplace in there did you say or in their car or in their fireplace or and you know i mean i, I think you, you probably said or but i want it to be and because that's funnier we're living in a world of exciting technological advancements you know that 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 guy elon is always up to some wacky stuff so who knows there's probably fireplaces in cars by now who's to say <laughs> oh that wacky guy elon university <laughs> <sighs> um well, uh, yes. So, so uh, this is the uh, this is the latter half of the show, wherein uh, the, excuse me the the segment we like to call Feast of the Weast, wherein we discuss uh, the media that we are feasting on here on the West Coast. Um, we'll we'll adjust the title accordingly in case one of us is ever on an opposite coast, like we did one time, wherein you were in North Carolina. It was Feast in the East, but for now yeah. it's Weast. And, and we're sticking to it. We're sticking to our guns. Uh, the media that I have been feasting on this week, Justin, uh, is a little little hidden gem indie darling that I don't think a lot of people have heard about. Um, a little movie called Napoleon Dynamite. So. What is that? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Justin. Um, this, was, uh, this was an in indie film that completely flew under the radar in 2004 i i'm not keeping this bit up it was an indie film that was anticipated to f fly under the radar and uh, you know I, everyone knows the story at this point ended up completely 
smashing the box office and becoming a huge uh cultural phenomenon and you know vote for pedro and the dance and all the all the time machine and whatnot yeah so yeah so like before we get too deep into this um paxton because you're gonna have to carry this back half because i've never seen napoleon dynamite You've never seen Napoleon Dynamite. I've never seen Napoleon Dynamite. I, I so, figured it had been years, but I didn't know it had been never. It had been never. It has been uh, 27 and change years since I've seen Napoleon Dynamite because <laughs> 27 and change is when I didn't exist. Um, <laughs> that was not <laughs> worth explaining. Um, yeah, no, I've never seen Napoleon Dynamite. So... Um, yeah like the thing for me is like napoleon dynamite is entirely it's entirely what i've received through cultural osmosis which is basically vote for pedro and the dance like it is like like it was a film that like immediately because you know like it got really big when i was 11. so and because i was a cool 11 year old by which i mean i was an 11 year old that didn't allow myself to like popular things so i was miserable and didn't have any friends um i was like really resistant to seeing this film because basically like people were you know it was like a very end thing where you know people were like quoting it and just kind of like talking about the film without ever really talking about the film so i was like just super anti-seeing it when it was a thing and then time passed and you know like the the zeitgeist kind of uh, you know shifted and then I never just caught up with it because I was never prompted basically until right now on this year radio show. <laughs> well, so, um, so just to give you, you know, just to let you know that your audience is someone that like kind of needs to be convinced all the way on Napoleon Dynamite. If your interest is convincing me to see Napoleon Dynamite. This is a really interesting undertaking. I, I never thought I would need to um, sell someone on a, hugely successful uh cult film from 15 years ago but here we are it's, it's okay just pretend you're a youtube film critic and you're basically <laughs> already in the proper subject position well i i basically already am i have i, I did make a, a video essay on napoleon dynamite last year for a class of mine that i did not release to youtube because i did a awful horrendous job editing it but um that i bet you didn't even dress up as a character to talk about it with like comic <laughs> books and stuff in the background uh <laughs> no that would have been would have been you know that would have really put me onto full like channel awesome territory which is not <laughs> territory i want to tread um for good reason uh <laughs> but uh, that's a that's a very niche joke but our audience probably mostly gets it yeah um, ch channel awesome that that resonates with me <laughs> um, good lord oh doug um <laughs> but, but uh uh yeah so so it, it's napoleon dynamite's an interesting movie to me because it was so like i was in elementary school when it came out and my sister, who was in high school at the time, and my my whole family, really, my dad too, my brother, 
um, all really latched onto it when it came out. It was a, you know, it was, it was a big thing in our family. And so naturally I, I had to discover it too and know what all these references that were being dropped around the house were. I needed to know what the deal with the tots were. I needed to know who Tina the fat lard was and why she needed to come get some dinner. Um, I needed to know how to make a, a freaking quesadilla. You know, these are all, these are all things I needed to get caught up on. And so as a kid, I, we got the DVD and I burned through that DVD countless times because it was just something that was like, you under, when you see it, you understand why it was so uh, uh, groundbreaking for, for its time and place. Um, it, it represents so much of like where modern comedy is on the internet now, especially of just sort of like isolated non sequiturs. Like it is almost like, like TikTok the movie where it's every scene is like an isolated vignette, huh. weird comedy sketch that has a vague th like through line going through it. So it is such a jarring film for the era to have such a loose lax narrative and such um uh such 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 uh yeah just vague and kind of surreal comedy to it um there and so yeah so so it, like it really it really captivated me as a child as and also as someone who like as a as like a a, a dorky quiet kid with big glasses who breathed through through his mouth and drew in his notebook all the time like i also like had a strong relation to Napoleon Dynamite as a little kid. Didn't help that people constantly told me I looked like Napoleon Dynamite, which is not great for your self-esteem when you're a child. Oh, that's that's cruel. It, you know, it it was what it was. I, you know, I I took my blows to the chin as much as I could, um, or took it on the chin rather. Uh, but yeah, and then and then about about. <sighs> a decade had gone by since I'd last seen it. You know, I got a little older. I'd seen it enough times. I knew all the beats and, you know, there'd sort of become this new growing contrarian mentality that Napoleon Dynamite was just a film that was quirky for the sake of being quirky and it was irrelevant. And so I, I sort of, you know, as it were like, quote unquote, got with the times and sort of moved on from Napoleon Dynamite. And then last year, I was just sitting around my room one day, like flipping through, I think it was HBO Go when that was still a thing, um, trying to find movies to watch. Napoleon Time, I was on there. And I was like, hey, let's revisit this. And I was so shocked at A, how well the comedy holds up and how influential it is to sort of where we're at now um, in the comedy sphere for better and for worse, I suppose. Um, and also, yeah, how, how profound it is too in terms of how it depicts how it depicts like this very weird subsect of like, uh, you know, a demographic we talk a lot about these days, which is like white working class middle America. Um, and Ooh, topical. Yes. Haha. -ha, yeah. One, one day, this is a, a demo. We can stop talking about every two seconds. They're, they're, they're talking about Napoleon Dynamite, but are they really talking about Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it is, it, it's such a, the, the reason the film meanders is because, so, so it's set in the town of Preston, Idaho, and it follows the life of, yeah, this very unextraordinary weird kind of uh, atypical kid uh, 
in a town full of sort of weird unextraordinary people and he or not even weird like pretty average unextraordinary people um and because he is sort of the most out there in terms of his personality he is sort of the you know he's the protagonist you uh, naturally want to latch on to um but but yeah you you like the film has to meander because there's no real hope in this world every story needs to be micro because there is no macro world for any of these people um and it is it's such a bizarrely despite actually being honestly a very heartwarming movie with like a a nice um optimistic ending without getting bogged down and being like saccharine or anything um it is also a sad film in how these characters, even like the the quote unquote like popular kids at the school, like Summer played by uh, Haley Duff, <laughs> which is hmm. an interesting fact. Um, like, you know, she is Queen Bee at the high school. She is like, she is top dog, mean girls, etc. There's no future for Summer after she graduates. <laughs> like and you can just tell watching this film like like either it is even a theme with the character of uh uncle rico who is the best part of the movie um who's who's napoleon's like late 30 something uncle who uh comes to stay with him while napoleon's grandma who he lives with is out of town and uncle rico is this man who from from everything he talks about to down to the way he dresses is so stuck in the early eighties and has never like from his high school football days and has never developed beyond them. And every, every conversation circles back to, to how he was, how he would have gone pro if the coach had put him in, in the fourth quarter, he's, he's that guy. Like the running gag in the movie is he's always recording himself chucking footballs on a camcorder on a tripod. Like that's, that's his life. He still desperately wants to go pro. And so there is a whole like, yeah, again, a very isolated random sequence in the film where an uncle Rico um, and Napoleon's brother Kip uh, who is a sort of mousy early 30 something guy who's also incredibly unextraordinary trying to train to become a cage fighter like of lofty dreams that are never going to be met the two of them buy a uh, a supposed time machine over the internet and yeah lo and behold the time machine doesn't work but he go he the the point in purchasing it is uh, in the deliberate effort to you know relive his glory days and change his fate and essentially uh you know start start toppling new dominoes so he could become the the hot shot pro player he knows he was born to be um and, and yeah and even the film like the, the whole town is incredibly like it's anachronistic in its aesthetics and in its its personality everyone dresses in hand-me-down clothes that are like at least 10 years out of date all the technology you know 2004 we've come a long way since then but you won't see a single apple logo in that film there is there is you know big boxy 
uh, uh, you know, desktop PCs from 1992. There's, uh, there's, you know, uh, rotary phones on like coily cords. It, and it's not, it's not solely for like an aesthetic uh, purpose. Like that is part of it, but it's also because like this town has just nothing going for it. And it has no choice, but to like be 10 years behind the rest of the world. Um, yeah. And so like, I'm describing it as a very bleak movie, which like that, the thing is like, that is so much of the subtext of the film is its bleakness, but it is, yeah, again, it's, it is an incredibly heartwarming film too, because it is all about Napoleon uh, by way of, yeah, a bunch of seemingly isolated scenes, which only have vague correlation to one another from scene to scene. It is about Napoleon, this kid breaking out of his shell and while not necessarily becoming any less quirky or odd or out there from his peers getting more in touch with himself and becoming a a more um more outwardly proud of his eccentricities rather than shameful of them and so the end of the film is such a little victory every character has their own little victory at the end of the film um by way of a a, a really a really sweet montage sequence, but all these victories are incredibly minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Um, and they're treated as such. It is, it is all micro accomplishments. And so if you want to look at it big picture, it's incredibly depressing because for a lot of these characters, this is probably going to be the high watermark of their lives. Um, but, but when you look at it in this isolated, small scale sort of, I mean, for lack of a better word, like doomed town a little bit. Um, it, it it feels so rewarding. And you see that, that like, it is a film that celebrates human accomplishment, no matter the scale. And it is like this incredibly optimistic and, and heartwarming movie set in this town that is anything but. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And the way you're describing it, man, it um it reminds me a little bit. And I don't know if you've seen any of these shows. Maybe this is a bad. And I, I know it's a bad comparison in terms of like the style of humor, but like the the sort of the way they deal with kind of like socioeconomics and kind of like light optimism. Uh, it, it reminds me of like some of Greg Garcia's shows. Who is the guy responsible for My Name Is Earl and Raising Hope? Yes, I watched a lot of, wow, I haven't thought about My Name is Earl in years. I watched a lot of, uh, I, I never saw Raising Hope, but I, I watched a lot of My Name is Earl back in the day. And yeah, it's it's very similar in that respect. Even like if you want to go, you know, King of the Hill or on, yeah. a, on, a, on a more cornball note that I don't enjoy as much, but, you know, there's still some similarities, something like The Middle, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, Roseanne, Roseanne is another one, like those, yeah. those kinds of stories. Um, yeah, it definitely is in line. I would actually probably say my name is Earl is probably the most, yeah, the most apt comparison in terms of not, again, not really in terms of, of comedy or, or writing, um, uh, or, or dialogue anyway, but in terms of, yeah, it's, it's view on the world of like, ultimately, you know, we are, you know, upper middle class to middle class white people that come from that, you know, are living in Southern California that graduated college that like, you know, you know, yeah. we, we get stressed, we have problems in our lives, but ultimately like the future is 
bright for you and I to some extent. Um, and like, these are characters who do not have those opportunities. These are characters who will not have that life and will not have those opportunities and are probably never getting out of this town and getting out of their town. And if they do, they're going to go to another town. That's just like it. Um, that's very, very pop punk. I was, I was just, I was going to say the same thing. I like, I think I'm just saying a day to remember song. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think I'm describing like a Goldfinger song here. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah uh no it is like but again in that same vein as my name is earl like my name is earl is a show that's all about a guy who used to be a scumbag that's that's sort of seen the error of his ways and is trying to sort of right his wrongs and make amends with people um and in most cases he does to some extent or another like like you know like his life improves on a micro level. He makes the best of the bad hand that's been dealt to him. And Napoleon Dynamite is a film that's about that same thing, but it does it in this, in this incredibly vague, uh, almost secretive way. You do, because when you, if you were to catch 20 minutes of this movie, it's isolated sketches with no through line between each other. Um, and, and is so jarring. And yet when you sort of step back and look at the bigger picture, there is actually an incredibly clear film here. And those isolated sequences are the perfect depiction, uh, to tell, are the perfect representation of telling the story because it is all about characters just living their day to day, not really looking towards the future, not really looking towards, um, you know, bigger things for them. They are, they're focusing on the here and now and the absurdities that come with it. And yeah, and the way you're describing that, that reminds me a lot of honestly, just a lot of like independent films about youth Um, and and like not necessarily like suburban or urban, because I feel like both of them kind of do that. But I mean, honestly, like in a very isolated way, I'm not making this direct comparison, but just like how you're describing it. There are parts of it that remind me, honestly, of like Chunking Express, you know, which the back half of that film, which is, you know, like this, like an uh, uh, an art like a very lively art film from uh you know a director from hong kong Wong kar wai where basically the back half of that film is just kind of like you know uh things happen to two young people uh in the city for a while and it kind of coalesces coalesces in a way but it's just sort of you know like life kind of happening and And I feel like that's sort of a familiar thing in American independent cinema, which, you know, Napoleon Dynamite is a kind of like that sort of like middle brow, like sun, like it premiered at Sundance, kind of like a middle brow American independent film. Uh, That's my understanding anyway. And so, yeah, like it falls within a kind of like aesthetic tradition of kind of like, you know, uh, representing aimlessness through a lack of a plot or lack of like a really or, or, you know, like giving you these like sketches these scenes and not really yeah just not being motivated by you know by plot progression which is familiar but that all but you're right that like that does also speak to something that i'm not going to say is like specifically american but there is like a kind of american experience of being somewhere that feels like nowhere and um and to that point napoleon dynamite it takes place in a suburban location right more rural than anything else it's okay Okay. yeah it's like it's rural idaho really okay yeah there's um like like something that that, and this isn't really about napoleon dynamite but it's just like what you made me think of like there's something about 
that kind of American experience that feels like, like as you said, like I think it feels very foreign to you or I, Paxton, because a lot in large part due to like, yeah, like our, our class position, uh, you know, our white privilege and also just where we live, you know, like we are in Southern California, we are in like a, we are around like a very, very major cultural center in the United States, you know, like one of like the, the biggest kind of uh, industries in the world. The and like even number if, 10 economy. <laughs> like, yeah, exa yeah, exactly. Um, and even though, you know, like I'm a grad student, you, uh, you know, like you're closer to that world than I am in a certain respect, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm low in the, I'm low in the totem pole in the academy, you're low in the totem pole in uh, radio, but still there, you know, and I'm just like, I'm still in the academy. There is a kind of, um, like there, there's a way in which that like, you know, we are uh, adjacent to the movement of culture in a way that a lot of America is not. And I think that like that sense of being in like that sense of being in a place that like feels like nowhere is something that I think we have difficulty accounting for, but something that ought to be accounting accounted for. And it seems like Napoleon Dynamite's kind of doing that work from the way you're describing it. It really does. Yeah. I mean, it is a completely, I, I, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but it, it is in my personal experience, uh, you know, an incredibly foreign world to grasp. Um, and it is, it is one that like, it, you know, there is such a, such a, a, an obnoxiously long-winded conversation we've been having for the last four years that no one's really gotten to the bottom of circling back to the stuff about white working class, middle America, et cetera, et cetera. But there is this whole thing where it's like, we, you know, we can see as many puff pieces from you know, the Atlantic or whoever about who is the Trump voter and whatnot. And like, what, what do they do? Where it's like almost treats human beings, Americans as like exotic animals that like we need to observe from a distance. Um, mm -hmm. But like, we still, you know, us, you know, quote unquote, coastal elites like ourselves, uh, we have so little grasp on who these people are. And while I'm not saying that Napoleon Dynamite is a perfect representation, because I don't know, I, I can't speak to that one way or the other. Um, and it's certainly an obtuse and quirky film. So who am I to say, but like, it does have this air of like, okay, this is just a human story about people in a world that is foreign to us, uh, or to me personally, anyway, um, a world I have no real experience in. Uh, but it's incredibly relatable, despite the fact that my prospects and my background are so wildly different. At the end of the day, like these are all very tangible human characters whose futures look probably dramatically different from mine and their past look objectively dramatically different from mine. But, but there is such a raw human element here that like, for me anyway, like feels like the least cynical the least calculated and the most just kind of honest and earnest depiction of regardless of if you want to get into white working class middle america whatever just people who are different pe people mm -hmm. whose lives do not reflect yours it is i think a really great representation of that and i think it is a really sincere um 
and and uh, commendable effort at telling that kind of story. Obviously, there's a million types of films that have done that, but it is it is done through this you know very obviously ubiquitous lens of the coming of age film uh, in this world that is so different. And I do think the latter half of Chungking Express is an interesting analogy and not one I would write off. I think that's actually, uh, you're onto something there. And I also would say like, we, we have to wrap it up here pretty soon, but Napoleon Dynamite also played a huge role in kicking off a very short lived, but I think very important era of filmmaking which is sort of the low budget uh uh indie coming of age comedy within anachronistic settings with like <laughs> like you got and the two other big ones i can think of off the bat are super bad and hot rod both films i adore equally um and both films that absolutely uh sought to capitalize on the phenomenon that was sort of jump-started by Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, and have granted very different approaches to comedy. Superbad is a lot more um, earnest and straightforward and has a more clear um, narrative through line. And Hot Rod is a lot more farcical and cartoony than a lot of Napoleon Dynamite is. It's a lot less grounded. You have the Lonely Island element to it. Um, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, both films definitely, uh, you know, sought to sought to to you know take advantage of the the flash in the pan success of napoleon dynamite and succeeded and that like that is a very specific niche era of film that you know who am i to say how actually grand scheme of things important it was because it is like you know i was what 12 or 13 when they came out so it's totally possible that i have a rose-colored goggles look at them but those to me are films that are incredibly important and have played a massive influence in shaping my taste. And I, I just adore, and I think do the coming of age approach so well. Yeah. And just as a quick, like final thought, I guess it's interesting to me that like one of the biggest like high school movies that I can think of after that, like that, that was like, you know, a big theater release is 21 jump street which is about people going back and yeah. like re-encountering high school as a place they no longer understand. So like, I wonder what, like what comes next for like the, the, I mean, what comes next for blockbuster cinema generally, but like, especially for like the, the high school coming of age story, like what's going to be the next thing that really hits with all demographics. Will there be one that does? Well, I think we're there already. I mean, yeah, we got to wrap this up, but I will say, you know, Lady Bird obviously was a big deal. Oh, um, right, yeah. Edge of Seventeen was very good and pretty underrated. Mm. I people are very into Euphoria. I haven't watched it, and Euphoria sounds like it is at once on the soapy side of things and a bit on the exaggerated yeah. side of things, but also apparently does touch on, um, you know, kind of an interesting Zoomer zeitgeist that you're not really seeing elsewhere on TV. Mm. Um, but I haven't watched, I don't know, but I'm proud of Zendaya for winning that Emmy. Good for her. Yeah. Um, and anyway, we got to get going. That's going to do it for us this week. Um, I, I, I got no uh, grand old exit to leave on. Just, you know, stay, stay safe and stay healthy, everybody. Yep. Uh, same. Stay, stay safe. All right. Take care of people.